0: I am Bella, and I will be reading Mark 7, 25 through 30. Soon a woman heard about him. An evil spirit controlled her little daughter. The woman came to Jesus and fell at his feet. She was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want. He told her, it's not right to take the children's bed and throw it to the dogs lord she replied even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs then he told her that was a good reply you may go home the demon has left your daughter so she went home and found her daughter laying on the bed and the demon was gone Well, we're supposed to be talking about things Jesus never said. He never said lots of things. Like, I'm your friend, I just don't have time for you. I was thinking, if I could only be as funny as those little things, uh, that would be really good for all of us. But one of the things Jesus never said was, we're the greatest, And so we want to talk about that today because I would say that is a pretty important part actually of culture down through the ages, that concept. Uh, Let's start, because this is intergenerational, with a little kind of what's going on in this picture. So the question is, um, what do these things have in common? All right. No, there is something. All right? Teeth. That's a really good answer, and it's a right answer, but it's not the right answer. But whoever said teeth, you're a genius. And let's so let's, let's take away eyes and ears and all of that. Okay, it's, this is, what? That's another really good one, but it's not a part of anatomy. That's not, uh, that's not what we're looking for. Okay, so whoa, whoa, whoa! What did we say? Greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. Go, G O A T. Greatest of all time. Now, uh, now, you know you can debate. You can debate. So you know it may be like uh, there's no way that Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time. It's whoever you can say it's not Wayne Gretz. You know whatever you want, Serena. Okay, but the point is. These are all people that at least somebody has said were the greatest of all time. It is part of kind of who we are. Um, how many of you have ever heard of the country singer Kenny Rogers? This is going to be a dating you thing. All right, Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers is a kind of a singer, song, storyteller guy. Uh, all his songs usually have some kind of a story. They're usually kind of sad. Uh, sometimes people die. Nobody dies in this film, so don't worry about that. But this is, this is, this is uh, one he did uh, however many years ago uh, about the greatest. So we're going to see if it does this. let set this up. Okay, it uh, starts with a kid out in the field all by himself with his bat and ball. And uh, he's the he says to himself, I'm the greatest of all time. And, you know, he throws the ball up. And then, anyway, so at this point in the video, if it works, he's had two strikes. So this is the third strike. So bright, swings his bat with all his might. The world's still, still can be. The baseball falls. And that's strike three. Now it's supper time. And his mama calls Little boy starts home With his bat and ball Says I am the greatest That is a fact But even I didn't know I could pitch like that Says I am the greatest That is understood But even I didn't know could pitch that good. That's kind of how we do it in life. You know, we decide we're the greatest at something, and if it doesn't work out, then we come up with the other thing that we're the greatest at. So, you know, if you can't hit the ball, well, you know, you just were really a great pitcher. So we're talking about these things that Jesus never said. And uh, he never said, you are the greatest. But in this passage, I almost wonder, if you listen to when Bella read, I, I almost wonder if the title of this should be, Things We Wish Jesus Never Said. Did, did you get the what sounds like kind of a harshness? Did you get the kind of bite? Did you get the, wow, this doesn't seem like a friendly way to uh, end the summer. Let's just, uh, just kind of hear that again. Uh, so we have, it says, soon a woman heard about him. An evil spirit controlled her daughter. I mean, this, this, is, this is bad. This is bad stuff. The woman came to Jesus and fell at his feet. She was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her. Now, now here's Jesus. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, that was a good reply. You may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. I don't know. This uh, seems like that might qualify, at least on first reading, for things. Maybe this was uh, one of Jesus' impatient days. Maybe he had a bad day. Maybe... Peter really got under his skin on this day. And he took it out on this poor woman. Or maybe we just haven't really taken a close enough look at what's going on in the text. So let's do that. Uh, we have this, uh, this woman, the this Syrophoenician woman, and uh, a very passionate request that she makes. Now, um, this... Uh, This is kind of a map, kind of a map, of uh, the Mediterranean area. And uh, the Phoenicians were an ancient culture. And they were, um, they weren't, you know, some world cultures, how they do it is they they conquer lots. Like the the Greeks and the Romans, they conquered lots of land. Um, The Phoenician culture was a little different. This area right here, this little bit right here, biblos, to Tyre, that's modern day Lebanon uh, that's pretty much that's their headquarters. They were a world power because they were seafaring people, and all those red lines, those were their trade routes, and so they were a great world empire, uh, not because they had big armies and they conquered lots of people, it was because they sold lots of stuff. They were kind of like the China of that day. They made lots of things and they sold lots of things. Lots of things came through the Middle East and, you know, spices and stuff, and then they'd move them out. And so that was kind of the empire that was there. And so you have these people. This is a woman who is a descendant of this once great empire. Now, this is one of those passages where Jesus goes beyond the bounds of Israel. Most of the New Testament, Jesus is kind of in the area where the Jewish people lived. And um, in this passage, we have Jesus taking his disciples for this hike. And they go up there and they're out of, so they're out of bounds. They're in, they're they're not in their comfort zone. They are not with their people. And it says that this woman comes and she falls forward or she falls on her. There's different translations. But basically, it's a very strong word that is used in the Greek text. And it, what it means is she rushes forward. It's almost like she's rushing forward so fast she stumbles forward at Jesus. Uh, this is passionate. The other thing that's really important to understand here is it talks about her daughter. Now, the clue here is this is not, um, this is not say, a woman that's um, like my age with an adult daughter. The word that is used is very particular for a little daughter. So we have lots of young kids here. You know, we have lots of young kids here. And so imagine, imagine if one of the young girls that sitting near you had this terrible thing happening in their life. We would do anything we could, right, to try and alleviate that. That's what, that's what we, would, we would do as parents or grandparents or even friends. We, we would do what we could. And this is the situation, is that Jesus, part of the reason he's here, we know, is because he's pulled away. This is this is kind of how Jesus, the little uh, intro, it had Jesus trying to get away. I don't really think he ever said, I'm playing hide and seek, but then didn't, uh, you know, anyway. But, but the fact was, we do know from the Bible that the crowds were so crushing that there were times that Jesus had to get away. And this is one of those times. And so one of the good ways to get away from most of the people that know what's going on is to go somewhere else. So he's gone way farther north out of the zone. But somehow, we don't know how, somehow this woman finds out about it. She's heard something about Jesus. And she knows something about him. And then we have Jesus. To this intense request, we have Jesus giving this seemingly kind of mean statement. And, uh, you know, I just say... Jesus goes to the dogs. Jesus goes to the dogs. Now, this is what we know from history of that day. We know that calling people dogs was very common. We know that the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. It was not not a nice term. It was actually a very harsh term. It was a dehumanizing term. And so when you were thinking about the Gentiles, the Jews had kind of this angry, you know, kind of vicious, uh, nothing you want near you. This is, this is the sense of the dogs. Or when we, um, we had a chance to visit Ecuador once, and there's lots of dogs in Ecuador, but they're all like mangy, and they're just they're just not nice dogs, and they're, right? They're horrible. They're horrible. Thank you for the interaction here. Yeah. I know, I know. So, yes. So, anyway, these, these dogs there, they're just, you know, this is, not like, this is not like the stars that have the little dogs in the little cases that they go everywhere with, the little, oh, isn't that cute? Look at that little dog. And You know, this is not that kind of dog. This is the dog that you don't want anywhere near you. That is what the Jewish people called the Gentiles. So what Jesus was saying seems to be exactly what normally would be said. Jesus was just saying actually the thing that he would be expected to say as a good Jewish teacher. So do you wish Jesus hadn't said it? Well, there's good news. This is where Jesus does the Jesus thing. Because in the New Testament, there are two Greek words used for dogs. The normal word for dog is the dog on the left or right, depending on which screen you're looking at. The bad dog, the mangy dog, the dog you don't want near you. Uh, This is used in a couple of different ways. Um, It's used, don't give what is holy to the dogs, Matthew 7. Philippians 3, beware, uh, Paul used it, beware of dogs, evildoers. Revelation 22.15 uses it um, basically talking about those that will not be in the kingdom, and that includes dogs. But even using that harsh word, and again, this is a word that we know from history. They, that, they, this is the harsh word for dog. And even in those passages, the New Testament writers, they transform it so that it is not about your ethnicity. It's not about the Jewish and everybody else is a dog thing. Now it's about, do you follow the God of heaven or don't you? But the word Jesus uses in this passage is a unique word. It's the word for the little house dog. Okay? So he's saying what everyone expects him to say, except instead of saying, I can't take what's supposed to be for God's children, the people of Israel, and give it to the dogs. He, he, He should have said this, but he said this. And she's a smart lady. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think... I think this is a dialogue we can have. And so hearing this comment about the dogs, she picks up on it, right? Because Jesus hasn't meant the mean dog, the bad dog, the dog you don't want. He's talking about the friendly little dog that cocks their head and looks at you and says, please give me some of that that dog. How many have a dog like that? All right. So you know what I mean, right? You love that dog, right? They're friendly dogs. And if you let them in the house, of course they come to the table because dogs are smart and they're like, oh, humans eating meat, right? <laughs> and so that's, that's what's going on. And so she picks it up and she says, ah, she says, um, But even the dogs, little puppy dogs, little house dogs, uses the same word. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You know what? There's this great thing with humanity is it doesn't change. And I know how this works. It doesn't matter how many times a parent will say, Don't give any food to the dog while you're at the table. This woman and humanity knows children and dogs are smart. They're like, don't go to the dad. He's mean. (laughs) Go to the child. They'll give you crumbs. Or they'll give you the broccoli they don't want or whatever. Like you can count on children. So she's saying, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm following you. I'm here under the table. How about some crumbs? How about some crumbs? So what's really going on here? How's that for a picture? It's free. All right? So don't complain too much. it actually shows, so we have this woman, she's kind of doing the falling forward, Jesus. Um, but what's really going on here is what's behind Jesus. It's sort of the forgotten part of the story, and that is this, Jesus' disciples are there. And so this interchange between the woman and Jesus If it was only her and him, she could have said, can you do this? Jesus would have just, yes. Because that's his answer. But why he takes so long to get to yes is because of what's really going on. And that is that he's got these followers, these disciples, and they continually don't get it. And this is yet another lesson for these disciples, that you know what? Your culture has told you that other than you, people are dogs. This is not a lesson of heaven. I need to teach you something. And this woman comes along with this situation, and she allows Jesus to teach them. Now, in the beginning chap, in... uh, 7 1 to 24 Jesus has done the same kind of teaching where he basically talks about how is it that we're clean and it's this whole discussion about your whole history your whole teaching is it's about making sure you have clean pots and pans and you handle your food right and you do all that stuff and Jesus turns that on its head and he said it has nothing to do with that it's about what's in your heart that's what makes us clean That's what makes you part of the kingdom, is your heart. And he's doing the same thing here. Who is part of the kingdom? The lesson they had heard is the Jewish people. That's who's in the kingdom. And so he's like, this is another chance for me to teach a lesson. I don't know about you, but... I find that a lot of times I'm one of these cartoon characters that's kind of looking over with the... I love the look, actually. It's kind of stunned like, huh, what did he just say? What is going on? So that's how I just want to try to wind this up is what do we hear today? So find yourself, Jesus and the lady in the text, they're having this thing going on. This discussion, Jesus is teaching something, we're looking over his shoulder, what can we hear today? Well, I think we can hear a couple things. First of all, we can hear that our greatness comes usually at others' expense. This is the most common way we as people become great, is We do it at someone else's expense. I I remember um, when I was in seminary and and one of my good friends, we were both procrastinators. And toward the end of every semester, we would do this thing. We'd talk to each other about how we were doing with our courses. And I remember this one time where we, we were in about three of the same classes and In one, we both got the assignment done. In one, he had it done, but I didn't. And in one, I had it done, but he didn't. And we both went to our wives when they were complaining about us being procrastinators. And I was like, well, Neil hasn't even started that yet. You know, I got that one done. And I'm already started on the other one. And he did the same thing. He's like, well, Jeff hasn't even started. This is how, see, you know, this is this human thing. We become great by tearing people down. This is not Jesus' kingdom way. I heard a great illustration of this. I was at a a conference in Bethlehem, which is in the Palestinian uh, territories, and uh, they had a fascinating speaker I'd met just uh, twice before, just in uh, small kind of settings. I don't know him. It's not like I'm saying this is my friend or anything like that. I'm saying I've heard him talk a couple times, He's a rabbi. He lives there. He uh, originally was from Wisconsin, and uh, he emigrated, and he is uh, now an Israeli citizen. And he was, at this time, the head of Rabbis for Human Rights. Big, tall, lanky, Arik Asherman is his name, Rabbi Arik. And um, he was at this conference, and he was asked a question and the question was this pretty, pretty potent question. They said, "Okay, Rabbi. Uh, big question in the region is where should the borders be? Where should the boundaries be?" So they said, "We'd like to hear from you. What do you, as a Jewish rabbi, what do you say about the borders? Where should they be?" And he paused. Because normally the answer is, at one expense, the borders will get bigger. He said this, and the room was absolutely dead silent. He said, well, as you know, I take my cues from Scripture. And as I look at the Hebrew Scriptures, what I see is that in our history as a people... The borders expanded as we were in right relationship with our God. And he said, I hate to say it, but I feel that today our borders should be smaller than what they are. That's a kingdom perspective. That's a heart perspective. Second of all, examples of true greatness may come from unexpected places. The best examples, I think, come from unexpected places. I, I, um, I remember being in uh, this little Capel uh, Valley. It's this little place in Saskatchewan, and I was part of an experience, and we went to a powwow, which was First Nations indigenous. They do dancing and drumming and all kinds of stuff. And uh, they have a great sense of humor, by the way. It was one of the best MCs I've ever heard. He told some great jokes, a lot of self-deprecating stuff. But in the middle of this, and you're looking around, and you know. You know from the cars. You know from just what you know about people that live on reserves in Canada. Many of these people are not wealthy. Many of these people aren't even middle class by our standards. Many of these people maybe don't have lots of jobs. And in the middle of this powwow, all of a the sudden, they do this thing where there's like this kind of drumming, dancing, and there's a big table, and then people come, and they walk around. It's like a, it's really, they do it in a rodeo arena. They walk around, and they come to the stands, and they come with everything from radios to Tupperware and they come right up to someone and they'll just look and then they'll say, sorry, I don't have anything to give. Oh, wait a, minute. Wait, a minute. Wait, a minute. wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got this. I took that from out there and they come up and they say, here you go. Here's your gift. And they go around the whole arena and they do this thing where they give away like probably a hundred things. And I thought this is the most incredible picture of generosity because there were were not many of us uh, that were white that were there and a number of us were given gifts. It was just an incredible picture of great generosity not being, I'll give it to the people. In fact, in terms of who needed it, we shouldn't have gotten one. In terms of, Who is known by whom? We should have gotten one. By every standard, we should not have gotten anything. And yet a couple of us were given gifts because that's what generosity is. That's greatness. And third, Jesus calls us to be great. He does call us to be great, not to pursue some sort of view of greatness that is based on whatever standard we often hear. But he does call us to be great. In Matthew chapter 18, there's there's this dispute by the disciples. Again, guys looking over the shoulders. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to be the greatest? And... Jesus, it was intergenerational Sunday, and so there happened to be children around. And so he didn't look around and say, well, let's see, let's find the best leader. Let's find Pastor Rob. Pastor Rob, would you come up here, please, because you're the great." No, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. He found a child. And he brought the child, and he said, come over here. And he said, put the child, stand right there. And he said, if you... Want to be great in the kingdom, you become like this. One of the great things, restoration is not the greatest. That'd be the whole, that'd destroy the whole point of my message. But it there is a greatness about restoration that it is intergenerational, that we do have kids. And part of the greatness is it reminds us of Jesus' own words about what it means to be great, and what it means to be great is to be like a child to have fun, to have faith. In Matthew 22, the disciples, like us, we are also disciples, are slow of learning. They basically have the same debate, but this is a terrible time to have it because we have it recorded for us in Luke 22, which is the Last Supper, and they take it from generally who's going to be great, you know, to which of us is going to be great. I heard a counselor talk about this once. That So Jesus is talking about his death and, um, you know, I mean, the whole setting. And she said this, you know, We can't really diagnose that the disciples were narcissists because we don't know enough. But without a doubt, this was a narcissistic moment. And we all have those where we go completely clueless and we say the completely inappropriate thing. And so Jesus at the Last Supper didn't have a child but he said this he said you all know what a servant is you know how lowly that is if you want to be great don't fight over where you sit at the table don't fight over the seating chart you be the person that serves you be the lowly person that's what greatness is have a A friend, this is a person that I do know, and she lives in Israel, and she's really interesting. Um, She and her husband immigrated as, uh, she says, I mean, we immigrated there as young hippies in their 20s. Uh, They're in their late 60s now. I think David's in his 70s. He's a musician. They're messianic believers in Jesus. She is one of the more brilliant, thoughtful people I know. She loves her country, but she grieves for her country because she said, I so want us to be the light that God wants us to be, and we're not. You see, that's, that's striving for greatness. Not, not, you know. She's not interested in looking at the map at where does Israel sit in terms of the world's military powers and know that they're in the top 10 and say, look at our size, we're great. She doesn't care a bit about that. She cares about is the light of God's truth emanating out or isn't it? That's what greatness is. I read a quote this week that I think is really good. Walter Brueggemann said, The prophetic task of the church is to tell, and I'll add in parentheses, to live, the truth in a society that lives in illusion." Our task as followers of Jesus is to live truth in a society that lives in illusion, in a society that lives chasing after, I'm great, we're great. The truth we want to live is that Jesus calls us to be great, to be great like a child. To be great like a servant. To be great in ways that society will look at and say, What is going on? And maybe they'll listen. And maybe there will be some crumbs. And maybe those crumbs will be life giving. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this passage. It, it seemed to be a really difficult one, and yet we really see the kindness of Jesus. God, we thank you that you are a God that loves across borders that we struggle with. We, we all have people, we all have places that, if we're being honest, we'd, we'd call them dogs and they'd be the angry and the unwanted dog. Change our heart. Help us to see what Jesus saw. Thank you for this woman and her daughter whose lives were transformed. And in some way, help us to be a people that see the transformation that you bring happening today. For we pray in the name of God, Father, Son, and Spirit.